0: Today we are continuing our teaching series called Changed by Grace, and we're looking at the life of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Uh, We're moving into chapter two today. Um, Chapter one, we found that Jonah was running from God. And today, in chapter two, we're gonna see a shift as he begins to run to God. And uh, there's some great lessons for us to uh, learn from this story of God's reluctant prophet and it involves Jonah getting honest before God and confessing the error of his ways and realizing that God was the only source of his salvation. So if you haven't been keeping up with the series, if you haven't been here each of the weeks, all six of these messages uh, kind of connect to each other, so we do encourage you to go online and uh, listen to the podcast or pick up a printed copy out in the lobby. But we're also going to be giving uh, Bibles today to some of our kids, and we're going to be sharing in Holy Communion. Uh, So it's a full morning, and we're glad that you are here uh, to share it with us. Will you take a moment to pray with me? Lord God, in a universe that seems so immense, it is easy to feel insignificant as we stand here today. And yet we know that we are precious in your sight, unique individuals who are loved and blessed in so many ways, We stand in awe of the one who has created all things and dedicate this time and our lives to your service. So accept our sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer of desperation? When you didn't know where else to turn or felt completely alone or cut off from everything else in your life? When we last left Jonah, he was in the belly of the great fish. He was in a bad way. He didn't expect to get out of this predicament alive. You know, I've discovered over the years as I've talked with people who knew that they had very little time left on this earth, that if a person knows that they have a very short time to live, there is a sense of urgency that has a way of clearing the mind of trivial details. You don't worry about washing the car if you know you're not gonna be around tomorrow. Someone else can wash the car. You've got bigger things to worry about. And so it was for Jonah. But first he has to come to his senses. Let me tell you a quick story about a Christian gentleman who for years was involved in a ministry to students. Occasionally he was faced with difficult disciplinary decisions when the young people he worked with broke the rules. He said, I've dealt with everything you can imagine, every sort of sexual sin, cheating, breaking the law, you name it, I've seen it. And this particular organization had an established set of procedures in place to deal with those who got in trouble, and very often they were able to help the young people make amends and set their life on a new course. While telling his story, this gentleman made two comments that I think are notable. First, He said that he learned that lying has almost become a non-issue today. Everyone lies, and they lie all the time. It's almost as if it's not a sin to lie anymore. Maybe it's a sin of postmodern relativism, he said, uh, that we have come to accept that lying just isn't wrong. Or maybe it's just a fulfillment of Romans 3.13, where Paul says, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. And after discussing how people routinely lie to cover up their sin, this gentleman offered this conclusion. He said, you can't help a liar. You can help someone struggling with some other sort of sin as long as they tell you the truth, but you can't help a liar because you can't trust anything they say. And the situation is compounded by the fact that when most of us get caught, we confess as little as possible. That leads to his second point. This gentleman said that it's always a good sign when a person tells you something that you don't already know. You already know A, B, and C, but the person then adds D, E, and F. You know their repentance is deeper than just, I'm sorry I got caught. Because true repentance often in, or always involves coming clean. And coming clean means owning up to the whole pattern of wrongdoing, not just the thing you happen to get caught doing. In Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, we are reminded people who c- conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The Bible says in John 1, First uh, 1 John 1, 1.9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. The psalmist talks about how God desires honesty from the moment we are conceived. And Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He said, God desires truth from the inside out. But it's very difficult for most of us to come to that place of total honesty with God and with other people. Most of us face a continual battle to be transparent in all of our dealings, especially when we've sinned. No one wants to say, I have sinned. We would rather do anything, including lying, to keep from saying those words. We make excuses, we'll rationalize, we'll twist the facts, we'll blame others. We'll say, it's not my fault, she told me to do it, so what, everyone else is doing it. Let me remind you this morning that it's a good mark of spiritual health if it's becoming easier for us to say, I was wrong. That's a good sign because it means that we're taking responsibility for our actions. It means we're ready to get our life right with God. It means we're ready to start growing again. They say that every message should have an application So let me give you mine today before we even get into the text of Jonah. And here's what I'd like you to do sometime in the next couple of weeks. Take a Bible, take a a notebook, and find a pen and sit in a quiet place. And then pray this simple prayer. Lord, show me the truth about myself. Lord, show me the truth about myself. A Bible piece of paper and a pen. Lord, show me the truth about myself. Those seven words are all you need to say and then let God have time to speak to you. You know, when we sincerely pray that way, the answer will begin to come from heaven. Little by little, the Holy Spirit will show us our weaknesses and our faults and our mistakes and our bad attitudes and our foolish words and our pride and our arrogance and our need to be in control and our need to tell others what to do and our desire to have our own way and our anger and our bitterness and our lack of mercy and our lack of love and our lack of compassion, if we wait long enough, the Lord will always reveal the truth to us. Now, it's hard to do this. God knows that, that, so sometimes He forces the issue. Sometimes God puts us in places where we have to face the consequences of our own stupid choices. He won't take sin in stride. God will never say, Well, boys will be boys. He is passionate for our holiness, He loves us. Too much to let us go on in our sin forever. That's the truth that Jonah had to find out the hard way. In Jonah chapter 2, the disobedient prophet finds himself in the belly of a great fish. Now, we don't know what sort of fish it was. We do know that the Lord appointed the fish to catch and swallow Jonah alive. It was a divine miracle that the fish appeared at just the right moment in the right place with just the right appetite to swallow Jonah but not to kill him or maim him in the process. Now, can you imagine what it was like inside that fish? It's dark. You can't move around very much. The fish is constantly swimming. Salt water is washing over you. Seaweed wrapping around your body. The unidentified objects that knock against you. Plus, the inside of a fish really stinks. It's greasy, it's slippery, and this fish is trying to digest you. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. While he's inside the fish, he compu- composes a beautiful prayer that takes the form of a psalm. First, he cries to God for help. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. No boasting there. He knows that if God doesn't save him, he will never get out of this fish alive. Secondly, he confesses that God is, is the one who put him where he is. Look at verse three. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Notice that Jonah is not blaming the sailors for throwing him into this sea. He's not blaming the storm. He's not blaming the fish. Jonah sees clearly that behind the ship and the storm and the casting of lots in the raging sea and the great fish and all of it, behind all of it stands, the Lord God of the universe. Jonah bows before God and he says, I'm here because you put me here. It's a great advance spiritually when we can stop blaming others for our problems. Jonah knows he must answer to the Lord alone. Third, he feels like he's going to die inside the great fish. Verse 5, I sank beneath the waves, the waters closed over me, seaweed wrapped itself around my head. There is no way out unless the Lord brings him out. Apart from God, he is Sunday lunch for this fit big fish, and there is nothing he can do about it. Fourth, he remembers the Lord is his only hope. Verse 7: As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Jonah is now finally acting like a true believer. After all the running away, after all the disobedience, after all the self-centered living, God has Jonah's undivided attention. We need to know something. God will do whatever it takes to bring us to the place where we remember him. He will stop at nothing. And that includes sometimes calamity and sickness and loss, and repeated failure, and heartbreak. But God will do whatever it takes to bring us to the place where we remember him. Whatever it takes to get us on our knees is good for our spiritual growth. Jonah is saying, Lord, I've been running from you for a long time, and now at last you have my full attention. And then fifth, he vows to serve the Lord. Verse 9, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. We can see the spiritual progress that he's making in this prayer. First, he acknowledges that it is God who's put him where he is. Secondly, he accepts God's discipline. Third, he thinks he's going to die. Fourth, he finally remembers the Lord, and then, and only then does he vow to serve the Lord. And he comes to this great conclusion. He says, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. This is the hardest lesson for any of us to learn. Salvation starts and ends with God. Some of us struggle a lifetime to learn that. Most of us have to learn it over and over and over again. Some people never learn it. But there is no salvation. There is no deliverance. There's no getting better until we realize that if God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. And that's the advantage of being in the belly of the great fish. It clears the mind so we can think about things that matter most. You see, most of us would probably improve spiritually if we spent a few days in the belly of the great fish. Or at least somewhere where we couldn't get to television and our radio and phone and the internet. See, in the terrifying darkness inside the fish, Jonah realizes the folly of fighting against God. And as a wise man once said, our arms are too short to box with God. He's going to win every time. So let me wrap up this message this morning um, with a few observations about Jonah's journey so far. And the first observation is this. Although he was a prophet, it had been a very long time since he had talked honestly with God. It's amazing and frightening how easy it is for church people to go through life without talking to God. Why do you think Jonah prayed in the great fish? For one thing, there was nothing else to do. Without the regular distractions of life, Jonah was able to focus on the Lord. People say to me, why doesn't God speak to me? to which I often answer, he speaks all the time, but we usually don't slow down long enough to listen. The busyness of life, the constant pressure to get things done, to meet our goals, to cross off items on our to-do list, all of it conspires to keep us from hearing God's voice. But God knows how to speak to us and he certainly knows how to get our attention. So it's a good thing to be desperate if desperation turns our heart to God. I can imagine few things worse than being in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. But it is better to be in the belly of the fish and talking to God than to be on dry ground boasting about our plans. You see, we pray inside the great fish because if God doesn't do something, we're going to die there. But notice this, it's not that the belly of the fish is inherently more dangerous than living in a luxury apartment or in a comfortable home. You see, we can get in trouble anywhere. An earthquake can strike, a tornado can come, a car can veer off the road, a catastrophe can strike at any moment. We can be singing a tune one moment and have a stroke the next. It happens every day. None of us are immune to trouble. And there is nowhere on earth where we are truly safe from heartbreak and sadness and disease and danger or even death. But the second observation from this story is that God had to stop Jonah in his tracks in order to get his attention. Notice the progression. In chapter 1, Jonah acts and keeps messing things up. In chapter 2, he prays and things start getting better. Often our greatest problem is slowing down long enough to hear God's voice. The third observation is that God delights to deliver his people from impossible situations. Being trapped inside a great fish for three days and three nights is an impossible situation. And even after Jonah gets right with God, he is still inside the fish. He's not going to get out on his own. So God works an amazing deliverance. Look at verse 11 of Jonah chapter 2. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach same lord who appointed this fish to catch him now tells the fish to let him go by the way i checked out the hebrew word translated spit or vomit and you know what it means spit or vomit (laughs) it's a very good translation some of you who have kids know what it's like to have projectile vomiting you know that's what happens here jonah takes a ride on the regurgitron. One moment he is wedged in the belly of the fish and the next moment he's flying through the air and then he lands on the shore and he's covered in shrimp cocktail. And all of it is meant to teach him and to teach us one thing. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jesus told a parable. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Jesus tells a story in Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. That really fits very nicely with this story of Jonah. A young man came to his father one day and says, give me my share of the inheritance. And so his father did and the young man took the money and left his family and he journeyed to the far country where he spent his money on wild living. And one translation calls it riotous living. He spent it on wine, women, and song. And it all worked until the famine came. By the way, you can mark this down The famine always comes sooner or later. You can have your fun. You can spend your money. You can live any way you want to live. You can throw off all restraints, but the famine comes eventually. When the money runs out, you find out that your so-called friends won't return your phone calls. They're happy to party with you when you had cash in your pocket and a credit card to cover everything else. But when you tap out, the party buddies suddenly disappear. Now this young man got to that point and he's feeding the pigs. And he's starving except for the little he could catch from the slop bucket. The Bible says that when the prodigal son came to his senses, he said to himself, back home, my father's servants have plenty to eat. I'll go back to my father and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands. And then he begins this long, slow, difficult journey back home. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed by what he's done. And he's wondering what his father will do. But he worried needlessly This is the part of the story we haven't talked about yet. It's my favorite part of the story. Jesus said that the father saw his son a long way off. That means that he had been waiting and waiting and waiting and looking and longing for this son to come home. The people in the village had made fun of him constantly. Come on, old man, this son of yours is gone forever. Don't waste your time on him. Give it up. But he wouldn't give it up. The father said, I will not come inside. I am waiting for my son to come home. Day after day, he waited, watching and hoping for a sign, some sign that his son would come home. And one day, he saw it. He saw a tiny speck on the horizon. And the father ran, the scripture says, to meet his son while he was still a far piece away. He didn't say, well, just let him come to me. We'll let him get all the way here, and then I'll talk to him. No, he ran after him. He couldn't wait to see this son of his. After his father had hugged him and kissed him, the son said, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's the speech he had been rehearsing all the way home, and he was going to say, make me one of your hired hands, but he never got those words out. The father wouldn't let him say it. Why? Because once a son, always a son. A son at home, a son far away, a son in the pigsty, a son on the way back home. That's why the father said, go get him some sandals, get my best robe, get the golden ring, kill the fatted calf. My son who is lost is now found. My son who is far away has come home. Let's get the party started. I've got some good news for you this morning. The lights are always on in the father's house. The door is always open. The father stands waiting for his wayward sons and daughters to come back home. And he doesn't say get yourself cleaned up first. He says come home. I can't wait to see you again. He doesn't say prove to me that you're worthy. Because none of us are worthy of the father's love. He just says if you're tired living out there in the far country, if you're tired of running from me, if you're ready to come home, the door is always open. Let me ask you, what's the hardest part about coming home? It's that first step, isn't it? How hard it is to take that first step back home to God. You see, prodigals are scared to take the first step because they're afraid of what awaits them on the other end of the journey. What if there's no one to meet them? What if no one's glad to see them? What if they're greeted by a bunch of angry words? They don't understand that Jesus has already paved the way, home in his own blood. His death was so great, his resurrection so complete that nothing can be added to the value of what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. And that's why when Jesus himself spoke about this, he called his own resurrection a sign of the prophet Jonah. Notice the similarities, notice how these two stories are connected from the Old Testament and the New Testament. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, even so Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And as Jonah came out of the fish, even so Jesus came out of the realm of death. The story of Jonah points us to the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus tells us how far God will go on behalf of guilty sinners. God sent his son into the lowest place of the earth, to the bloody cross of Calvary, to the emblem of suffering and shame, and out of that shame, he fashioned our salvation. And now the door of heaven has been thrown open wide. All the reluctant Jonas of the world can find their way back home to God. You know, sometimes we sing that great hymn, you've heard it, Many, many different places in many different ways. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But to get the full impact of this story, we need to understand that the grace of God is not just amazing. It is outrageous. It welcomes the worst sinners into the courts of heaven. It makes a way for even super-religious people to be forgiven of our sins. And for the rebel among us who today feels like we're out there still in the far country feeling alone and forgotten, God, God's grace reaches out and says, Jesus has already paid the price. When you're ready, come home to God. When you're ready, come on home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect Because if we did, who among us would qualify? We thank you that we don't even have to scrape off the dirt of our own foolish mistakes. We couldn't do that if we tried. All we have to do is turn and come home. Lord Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. We are so glad because you are the friend and we are the sinners. And thank you, Lord, for this story. Because if Jonah can get a second chance, there's hope for us. So give us grace to come and Give us courage to take that first step back to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.